Hand me my sword. That's the name of our series that we are doing on the book of Nehemiah. We're in the process of unfolding or extracting eschatology from the Old Testament. We are on number 12 in our series. Mission accomplished. Nehemiah has finished building the wall. What a God-sized magnificent accomplishment. The wall was completed by the power of the living God through a leader who was a cup-bearing servant of an earthly king. Highly respected by the secular and the holy, the final brick was laid by the hand of God through a weak and fearful people. Nehemiah didn't survive the attacks. He dominated them with the wisdom imparted to him by God himself. Now it's time for him to lead these wavering people to Judaism, their traditions, customs, and certainly the doctrines. Let's take a look at our overview for today. Number one, victory robs the enemy of confidence. Number two, the enemy realizes it is God who won the battle. Three, while it is a great celebration, however, they need to keep their swords handy. Number four, victory ignites revival. We're going to be spending some quality time talking about the revival that broke out immediately after the wall was completed. Number five, the highest positions reward the holy insight of a leader. We all know that Nehemiah did not gain financially or materially throughout this 52 days. His reward was eternal, and God blessed him in significant ways. Let's review our scripture for today. We're going to be reading out of Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And it says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate from the early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. 
Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. He explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Now let's take a look at God's mission is accomplished. With the Lord's help, Nehemiah survived three separate attacks, fearful workers, conspiracy, and a host of challenges. Not one of these things worked on slowing his mission given to him by God. Persistence and immovability offer rich rewards. However, the commissioning of the wall was only half the reason God put on Nehemiah's heart to rebuild. The other, to awaken the hearts of the people to return to the sound doctrines of Judaism, which was the responsibility of Ezra. Since each leader of the twelve tribes failed in keeping the hearts of the people totally focused on the laws of God, Ezra was assigned to step up and preach. Now let's look at the revival at the Watergate. It was time for Nehemiah to sit back and relax. The leaders of Jerusalem gathered the people at the city square, directly in front of the Watergate. The Watergate was part of the temple complex rather than in the wall. It was so named because it led to the city's main source of water, totally symbolic of the living water who is Jesus Christ. But in the city of Jerusalem, it came from the Gihon Springs, which is actually named in early Hebrew as the Fountain of the Virgin. It was the traditional place to have the law of God read to the masses. The tribal leaders asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which was given to Moses for the people of Israel. While all men, women, children were present, Ezra began to read. The reading lasted from early morning until midday. The miracle... All present understood the reading and were attentive. In fact, once Ezra began to read, all stood up in reverent respect. And looking back, we see that God used the attacks upon Nehemiah to gain their attention for this moment. Once he began to pray, the people raised their hands, then dropped to the ground bowing to the Lord and worshipped him. After the reading, each of the leaders of the twelve tribes had to explain the law to the people while they remain in their place. Folks, this is called a revival. In every revival noted in history, two things were certain. First, there was a powerful outpouring of the Word of God. Secondly, there was a certain response of unifying believers to make disciples into the world. This is exactly what happened in Jerusalem that day. Judaism came alive for a lost people. As we learn in chapter 7, 
before Nehemiah asked Ezra to read the law, droves of exiled Jews were brought back into the homeland before the great revival. Now let's look at the day that they called holy. Once the reading and worship had been completed, Nehemiah, Ezra, and the twelve tribal leaders proclaimed before the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as a result of hearing the word of God spoken. Now when was the last time you wept as the word was read to you? The Jews wept because they were overcome by the memory of being released from captivity, facing the giants in the land, their enemies, investing blood, sweat, and tears in rebuilding the wall. And now, their newfound freedom as bloodline Jews. But wait, all of this created a spiritual vacuum. Let's take a look at that. Did you know that the revival of the Word of God is a result of Nehemiah's work, which is noted as the first in world history? Well, it was. You cannot have a revival without a spiritual vacuum. God's people certainly had that being exiled to Babylon for over a generation of living. Each grew up under the spiritual, psychological, and environmental deception of the aftermath of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, capturing the people of God. And those were the pure bloodline Jews. It is said that the environment of culture is the greatest influence on cementing beliefs in a growing child. Personally, I don't believe there's any truer words. Here's a fact. Babylon worshipped pagan gods, most related to female deities, as noted in Jeremiah 52. Besides devotion to false gods, sexual immorality was widespread in ancient Babylon, and cult and temple prostitutes were common. And let's not forget that Babylon was the home to the Tower of Babel, which means a confused noise made by a number of voices. Needless to say, the Jews being brought out of Babylon brought with them demonic doctrines that fronted their Hebrew God, which created a spiritual vacuum for all. Therefore, this created a perfect holy moment God. Let's look at a finely tuned watch. Allow me to give you an illustration that has impacted me. We are to function like a finely tuned watch. Whether Jews or today's grafted Jews, which is indwelt Christians, the body of Christ, his church, is like an impressive, well-constructed watch. It has hundreds of wheels, cogs, gears, and a host of other moving parts. The beauty of this illustration is each part does one thing, and one thing well. As long as the parts work in harmony with the single part connected to it, it sets in motion for all parts to produce the end results, which is the perfect timepiece 
of God's eschatological timeline. Now imagine that this timepiece is on the wrist of God. He calls this watch the body of Christ, meaning the earthly representative of Jesus' body is housed in God's temple of the Holy Spirit. Folks, that would be us indwelled believers. Back in Nehemiah's day, it was the pure bloodline Jews. I believe this is an excellent illustration of today's believers working in perfect harmony with the spiritual gifts the living God has placed in each authentic believer. However, if one or more parts do not do their part, the timepiece will not show the accurate timeline of the Father. It is in this that we understand why God is into revivals through brokenness and sufferings. In other words, the Lord has to break open the watch and repair each part that is not cooperating with other parts that depend on all parts doing their thing. Leaders, take note. If one or more of the workers stop moving, it affects the entire objective of the timepiece. Did you hear that? All well-organized plans cannot remain on the timeline of God unless all parts are moving in harmony and submission to each other. If the part is not cooperative with the mission, remove it and replace it with a new part built to harmonize with the existing parts. It's that simple. Not only did Nehemiah do this, so does the living God. An old mentor of mine had a plaque on his desk and it said, Lead, follow, or get out of the way. After asking him to explain this phrase, it not only stuck in my mind, it became a motto in all that I have done throughout my ministry. Now let's take a look at the man with the plan. Nehemiah was not the only man with the plan. He employed a handful of skilled workers, like Ezra, Hanan, his brother, the nobles, and the twelve leaders of the twelve tribes of Israel. After Nehemiah fulfilled his roles as cupbearer to the king, built the wall, and was established as governor, he enacted Jerusalem's leaders, gifts, talents, and skills of Jerusalem's leaders. While both sides of the coin of his mission are important, the second half of the mission is what propelled God's people into this revival. In the Old Testament, works came before faith. The Old Covenant was affirmed through works, while the New Covenant shows us that Jesus kept to the same mandate as the Old. But this time, Jesus did the work and we enacted faith. Reviewing our four points of victory... Number one, mission. An immovable leader results in an immovable mission. It's plain and simple. If you have a movable leader, then his mission will be just as easy to move, shift, or change. Number two, revival. Accomplished work is the precursor to a revival. 
This is exactly what we are seeing in our passage today. Because of Nehemiah's success in keeping to the Lord thy God and his earthly king, a revival broke out amongst the people. 3. Vacuum Quality leaders create a vacuum of beliefs. What that means is typically because the leader, as in the case of Nehemiah, when they're immovable, it causes a reverse process upon the people who are supposed to follow. And it creates this crisis of belief, which is what we're referring to here as a vacuum of beliefs. And once they're pulled into this vacuum, the real decision of whether they are going to humble themselves before the living God, submit to his mandates, and move forward. And this is exactly what describes Nehemiah's plan as part two kicked in for him. Number four, harmony. Building a finely tuned timepiece by way of using the people. The people were the gears, the cogs, the moving parts that were necessary for Nehemiah to keep to God's eschatological timeline. In conclusion, discerning leaders and followers know how to distinguish the means from the end. When looking through the mind of Christ from within, we are free from demonic tunnel vision. As in Nehemiah's case, leaders and their followers always kept the horizon in focus, not just their contributions to the project. Nehemiah made pro-vision for the final completion of God's plan, not only for Jerusalem, but his life calling. He learned the art of submission to an ungodly king. He wisely avoided the pitfall of wrangling words with the enemy and the fellow Jews. He refused to entertain inflated problems and opinions. And the best part, he was immovable in including the first Jewish revival at the tail end of his investment. So this wasn't all about brick and mortar. It wasn't all about getting that wall up to protect them physically, all that needed to be done to ignite the revival of Judaism. While most despise working for an immovable leader, calling him vain, arrogant, filled with pride, or demands too much, well, this is the kind of leader I prefer to serve. Nehemiah was this kind of leader, and it is why I have modeled my method of leadership after a man who was a great cupbearer, servant, builder, strategic leader, and a governor, a strategic one who leads effectively. Coming up next is number 13, Israel Confesses Their Sin. We have here a general account of a public fast which the children of Israel kept, probably by order of Nehemiah by and with the advice and consent of the chief of the fathers. It was a fast that men appointed, but such a fast as God had chosen. It was a day to afflict the soul. 
Before, the enemy was afflicting the wall to get at the people. You see, the afflictions was not over. During this fast is when we see God afflicting the souls of the pure bloodline Jews. They probably assembled in the courts of the temple. And there appeared to be the standard of the Hebrew people under repentance, and they were dressed in sackcloth. And the posture of mourners was upon their face, with dirt or earth upon their heads. We'll cover more of that in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. These outward expressions of sorrow and humiliation actually gave glory to God took shame to themselves, and stirred up one another to repentance. Action that goes forward cannot take place without brokenness and repentance. Not only did Nehemiah know this, it was God himself that put this mandate and flow upon the hearts of man. Before, as we mentioned earlier, they were restrained from weeping, But now they were directed to weep. The joy of our holy fast and feast must give way to the sorrow and repentance when we come before the Lord. After that, to be perfectly blunt, everything is beautiful in its season. We hope that you join us for number 13. We have some very fun spiritual facts that we'll cover in regard to each little piece that Nehemiah is revealing in his writings is leading to a successful and progressive method of moving forward, but this time through God's holy law, which to them meant pure bloodline Judaism. Until next time.